Hey everyone, this is Pedro Chung, and welcome to Bible Sumo Weekly, a Bible study podcast for everyday Christians. We are currently in the book of Genesis, and our current series is The Life of Joseph. Episode title Joseph Made Prime Minister. In today's episode, we are back in Genesis chapter 41, and we'll be looking at the second half of the chapter. So you'll remember that in chapter 39, when Joseph first arrives in Egypt, he was in Potiphar's house. In chapter 40, he was in prison. And at the start of chapter 41, he gets brought into Pharaoh's court. At the start of chapter 41, we see that Pharaoh was initially troubled by having two sequential dreams. And then the cupbearer remembers Joseph when no one was able to help interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And then so Joseph is summoned to Pharaoh, and finally we see that Joseph successfully interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And after Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams, Joseph gives some important advice. He first tells Pharaoh to select a discerning person and appoint him to be manager over all the affairs. Next, he tells Pharaoh that he is to select additional overseers to collect and store a fifth of the harvest during the seven years of abundance. Then, when there are seven years of famine, the collected food must be distributed to everyone that was in need. And failure to follow these recommendations would spell certain doom for the country and the nation of Egypt. So let's start in the second half of chapter 41 and see how Pharaoh responds. Beginning in verse 37, it reads, This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed them in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set himself over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath paniah and he gave him in marriage Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. So we see here that when Pharaoh and his servants had heard Joseph's counsel, they were pleased, and they immediately recognized Joseph's wisdom and welcomed his opinion and counsel. And they were likely also impressed by Joseph's confidence and his charisma. And you'll notice that there was no overt malicious competition between Pharaoh's servants and Joseph. And so Pharaoh asked his servants if they could suggest anyone wiser than Joseph to lead Egypt through what lies ahead. 
and acknowledging that the Spirit of God was with Joseph, Pharaoh recognized that Joseph's God alone was able to design the significance of the dreams. Pharaoh and the Egyptian servants had no difficulty accepting that God was working through Joseph. And they likely did not accept the claim that there was only one God, but they did accept the wisdom and counsel that came from Joseph and his God. There was no dispute or resistance to grant Joseph the authority to lead. And you'll notice the adjectives discerning and wise in verse 39. They are the same adjectives that Joseph had used when he had advised Pharaoh. Back in 33, he says, Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. So let me restate how Pharaoh had chosen his prime minister. One, he accepted Joseph's counsel and looked for someone discerning and wise. Second, he looked for someone who had the Spirit of God. Now, you and I would do well to act similarly if given an opportunity to look for a person of leadership. Donald Gray Barnhouse noted that the secret of power is character, but the secret of character is God. Now, notice what Pharaoh does next. First, Pharaoh places Joseph over his house and over all his people. He said that only the throne of the king of Egypt was still greater than Joseph. So in other words, Joseph was given the second highest position in all of Egypt next to the king of Egypt. And in fact, this passage states that Joseph will rule over all the land of Egypt twice. It is first mentioned in verse 41 and a second time at the end of verse 43. One commentator writes, The second in authority to Pharaoh was the vizier, the prime minister at the top of the administrative bureaucracy. The vizier's responsibilities typically included superintending the land and supervising the judicial system. Joseph's authority appears to have extended to these traditional areas. Now, God had prepared Joseph for this position for quite some time. You'll remember that Joseph's father, Jacob, had set Joseph as manager over all the shepherds, including his older brothers, in Genesis 37. Potiphar set Joseph as manager over his entire household in Genesis 39. And the captain of the prison guard set Joseph over the entire prison in Genesis 40. And now the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had set Joseph over all the land of Egypt. Now, this may seem obvious, but let's pause a minute. Joseph was now ruler over the cupbearer, who for two years had forgotten Joseph. He is now the ruler over Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. Imagine what she was thinking when she found out Joseph was made prime minister. Well, next, we see that Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand. Notice that Pharaoh did not ask Joseph to make a copy of his signet ring, but instead he takes off his own signet ring and gave it to Joseph. And by placing the ring used to make documents official, 
Pharaoh had empowered Joseph to be his personal officer. This signet ring was a symbol and sign of Pharaoh's royal power. Now, you may remember that in the book of Esther, the king of Persia first gave his signet ring to Haman in Esther chapter 3. But he later actually removes it from Haman and gives it to Mordecai in Esther chapter 8. So in review, first Pharaoh places Joseph over his entire house and over all his people. Next, he removes his signet ring from his own hand and puts it on Joseph's hand. Now third, Pharaoh clothes Joseph with fine linen and puts a gold chain around his neck. Now the word for linen used here refers specifically to Egyptian linen reserved for priests and royalty. This same type of linen would be later used to craft the tabernacle and priestly vestments later described in Exodus chapter 25 and 28. Belshazzar rewarded Daniel similarly with fine purple linen and a gold chain as recorded in Daniel chapter 5 verse 29. The fourth thing that Pharaoh does is that he provides Joseph with his second chariot and followed Pharaoh in the procession. The NIV translate people saying, make way, while in the ESV, the text says, bow the knee. The people of Egypt were commanded to pay homage to Joseph. Joseph would have power not over just the peacetime operations, but also times of war, as indicated by manning these chariots. Fifthly, Pharaoh gives Joseph an Egyptian name, that is, Zaphinath Pania. And one commentator writes, The exact meaning of this ancient Egyptian name is unknown, though it undoubtedly signified something rather grandiose. And in the Targum, one of the oldest translations of the Torah, is interpreted as the man to whom mysteries are revealed. While the historian Josephus translates this name somewhat similarly as the revealer of secrets. But today, the most widely accepted translation of Joseph's Egyptian name is what was pr- proposed by Steindorf, and that translation is God speaks and he lives, or the God has said he will live. And if this translation is true, it shows that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is acknowledging the power and the character of Joseph's God, Elohim. Now, the sixth and final thing that Pharaoh does in this section is that he arranges for Joseph to marry Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest in the city of On. Now, it's interesting that Joseph is marrying into the priestly caste, which had authority and influence, and this marriage actually further enhances Joseph's political power. Now, just to clarify, um, Potiphar, the priest, although sharing pretty much the same name as Potiphar, I don't think that this person is the same person as Potiphar, the captain of the guard that we had met back in Genesis chapter 39. F.B. Meyer writes, 
It is a wonderful ascent, sheer in a single bound from the dungeon to the steps of the throne. His father had rebuked him. Now Pharaoh, the greatest monarch of his time, welcomes him. His brethren despised him. Now the proudest priesthood of the world opens its ranks to receive him by marriage into their midst, considering it wiser to conciliate a man who was from that moment to be the greatest force in Egyptian politics and life. The hands that were hard with the toils of a slave are now adorned with a signet ring. The feet are no longer tormented by feathers. A chain of gold is linked around his neck. The coat of many colors torn from him by violence and defiled by blood and the garment left in the hand of the adulteress are now exchanged for vestures of fine linen drawn from the royal wardrobe. He was once trampled upon as the obscures of all things. Now all Egypt is commanded to bow before him as he rides forth in the second chariot, prime minister of Egypt, second only to the king. But you know what? There's more to the story than just the simple notion that Joseph remained faithful and God rewarded Joseph for his faithfulness. Let me explain. First, Joseph is still a slave in Egypt. In chapter 39, he served Potiphar and managed his affairs. In chapter 40, he served the captain of the prison guards and managed his affairs. And now here in chapter 41, he is still serving. Yes, he's serving the king of Egypt. His new master may be more prominent, but he nonetheless remains a slave in Egypt. So first, he's still a slave in Egypt. Second, Joseph is given pagan wealth. He's given a signet ring, fine Egyptian linen, gold chain, a fast chariot. Third, Joseph is thrusted into a lifestyle of pagan worship. We see that the Egyptians are called to bow down to Joseph as if he were a deity. And a woman from a priest who leads pagan worship is now given to Joseph in marriage. And fourth and finally, Joseph receives a new Egyptian identity when Pharaoh gives Joseph a new name, Zaphinath Paniath. So we see here that Joseph is in the wrong nation. He's serving the wrong master, receiving pagan wealth and blessing, and not the blessings of God's covenantal promises. And so now here's the test. This is the test that Joseph faces, and it is no easier than his test of sexual purity in Potiphar's house. And so we have to see now, will Joseph remain content with the blessings of pagan Egypt, or will he continue to pursue God's covenantal promises given to his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? So I just covered the first section of this episode, verse 37 to 45, where Pharaoh accepts Joseph's counsel. There are three more things that we'll see happen at the end of this chapter. Joseph first fills the store cities. Joseph names his two sons. And finally, Joseph opens the storehouses. 
So let's look at Joseph filling the store cities in verses 46 to 49. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. We'll learn later in the narrative that Joseph lives until he was 110 years old. And here in verse 46, it records that Joseph is now 30 years old. So we can calculate that Joseph will rule over Egypt for 80 years. Now, when Joseph is described as going through all the land of Egypt, it was both an act to establish and display his rule and power over all Egypt, and it was also to allow Joseph to survey the land and the kingdom over which he was to rule. And he would need to study and learn about the land and the kingdom for the important tasks that lied ahead. In the next three verses, we see that the interpretation of the dreams were being fulfilled. During the seven plentiful years, there was an abundant harvest. And we see that Joseph stockpiled the grain in designated cities adjacent to the fields. And the harvest was so enormous that recording and measuring the yields of the harvest became impossible. And so, like Abraham and Jacob's descendants, this abundant harvest was like the sand of the sea. That is, it was beyond measure. Now, let's look at Joseph naming his two sons, beginning in verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God had made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. It's interesting to note the detail that the birth of Joseph's two sons occurred during the seven years of plenty. No additional children of Joseph's are described in the Genesis narrative during the seven years of famine. And the naming of Joseph's two sons are important because it gives us insight into Joseph's mindset on his present Egyptian life. And Joseph here shows evidence that he has not forgotten his God. Now, during this time, it was common for Hebrew mothers to assign the name of the child based on her sentiment of the birth event. For example, Eve named her third son Seth in Genesis 4.25. And it was the mother who named her son Moses in Exodus 2, verse 10. And it was Hannah who named her son Samuel in 1 Samuel 1, verse 20. 
But here we see that it was not the mother, but it was Joseph that names his two sons, just like Abraham named his son Isaac. Notice also that Joseph gave his two sons Hebrew names, not Egyptian names. And so this indicates that his cultural and religious heritage remained intact. And in fact, most likely his wife, Asenath, likely converted to the beliefs of Joseph and his God. Joseph's first son is named Manasseh. He names his son Manasseh because, he says, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Now, I don't think Joseph is saying that because of all his Egyptian blessing that he can now forget all his family and his Jewish heritage. That would not be consistent with Joseph's character in both the earlier and the latter part of this narrative. Instead, I think here that Joseph is honoring God by acknowledging the reality that he is not alone. God has now given him a new family. He has a wife, and he now has a son. And that is to help him forget the reality that he was alone, disconnected from his previous family. Now, he names the second son Ephraim, which means fruitful honoring God to have fruit within this barren land of affliction. God has given Joseph sweet fruit amidst the bitter providence that he had endured here in Egypt. Now, I should also note here that by referring to Egypt as a land of affliction, Joseph is affirming that Egypt is not his final resting home. His final destination, that land, is still the land promised by God in God's covenant to Abraham. Well, let's look at the final section of this chapter where we see Joseph opens the storehouses, beginning in verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. So you remember earlier that when Joseph had stored up all the grain during the seven years of plenty, it was immeasurable. Now, unlike Joseph, the surrounding people, especially the surrounding nations, they would not have known that this famine would last seven years. But we read again that the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. Now, most people would have had some amount of reserve um, in times of famine, and that could probably last at least a few months. But as the famine grew in severity, not just longevity, 
And because this famine was so vast and extensive, surrounding people had to come to Egypt to buy grain. The narrative describes the people of Egypt crying to Pharaoh. And this verb cried to is commonly employed in the Old Testament, like Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 5, describing God's people appealing to God for relief. Joseph had to ration and manage the grain storage to feed not just the people of Egypt, but also the people of the surrounding nations. God's invisible hand of providence is truly awesome. He orchestrates Joseph's life to allow him to soon preserve his family. But not only that, the surrounding people are now co-recipients of God's saving mercy. And so the final verse in this chapter closes with these words. All the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain. And it sets the stage for Genesis chapter 42, when we see Joseph's brothers needing to come to Egypt and consequently reuniting with their brother Joseph. Thanks for listening to Bible Sumo Weekly. For more information about me or this podcast, visit our website at biblesumo.com. And you can always send me questions and feedback by direct messaging me on Twitter at BibleSumo. In our next episode, we will continue our series in the book of Genesis, and we will see Joseph seeing his 10 brothers for the first time in over 20 years. Follow our podcast and listen to our Bible studies each and every week here at BibleSumo Weekly.